0: Hello and welcome to Switzer Investing. I'm Peter Switzer. Thanks for joining me. And tonight's show, Paul Ricard and I look at what stocks might do in April. Now, this is the best month for US stocks. They've been up 70% of the time since 1945. April is a really good month. Then we work out if domain is a buy despite falling house prices predicted by many. With domain CEO, Jason Pellegrino. And then Marcus Bogdan of the Switzerland Dividend Growth Fund will look at the latest additions to his income fund. The in price has been going up. It'll be interesting to see whether he's actually adding more um, stocks to his fund. And then finally, Adam Grotzinger of Neuberger Berman. This is a US-based business. They've got a listed uh, uh, fund on the stock market, but this is an unlisted one. It's a new corporate bond fund. That's the show for tonight. Let's kick off now with Paul Ricard and myself, which we recorded yesterday, looking at what's going to happen to stocks in April. and today we want to focus on what might go on for the stock market in April. Paul, let's kick off with March.
1: Yeah, well, it's good to look back first of all, Peter, it actually showed the market's uh, year-to-date is up 0.7%. That might surprise a lot of people despite the press, mm. but uh, add in dividends are up 2.2% and the market put on almost 7% in March. So really a boomer of a month. Mm, uh, weird, yeah. Compare that to the US which is still struggling a bit, Peter, although it's come back, it's still down 5% year-to-date. So the Australian market yeah, due to resources and banks, uh, has clearly outperforming the US market. Okay. Let's go and look at the sectors. Yeah, and that leads to discussion around the 11 industry sectors and their various weightings. And what you can see from this, uh, this chart is that the biggest sectors, that is the resources sector, which uh, materials largely, which mm. accounts for 25.7% of the uh, S&P A6 200, uh, up 8.9% in March and up 15.4% year-to-date. That's commodities, Peter. Yeah. Uh, the energy, we know that, no surprise, they're up 28.6% to date. But also financials, and I guess that's partly uh, a function of you know pretty good conditions in Australia, talk of higher interest rates, banks have had pretty good profits. Uh, that, the biggest sector's up 4.5%. The sectors that aren't doing as well, no surprise, but information technology, but also other high-growth sectors like the healthcare sector, uh, although up in March, are uh, still down 10.1% year to date. Mm. So historically,
0: uh, particularly healthcare has been a very good sector for the Australian stock market. And Paul, it's very interesting to see that if you add financials to materials, you're talking about 50, nearly 54% of the market.
1: Yeah, so the two, it's being led by the top companies, and so the top 20 is also very clearly outperforming the bottom part of the market. So uh, mm. this is the big companies, the big resource majors, the big banks, uh, people like Macquarie, they're the reason why the markets uh done. done you know, it's, it's a positive return this year, despite what a lot of the uh, commentary might make it to be.
0: Let's go look at the, the challenges for April.
1: Yeah, so let's start obviously, we've got Ukraine out there, and look, let's just let's see how that plays out, Peter. Mm. Our hearts, so obviously, think of the Ukrainians, mm. but that's going to have a big impact on the market. And yeah. if I guess if there are more peace talks, that's more positive for the yeah. equity markets. And conversely, if uh, things uh, go go pear, pear shape again, mm. in the USA, look clearly the spotlight's still on inflation, interest rates, increasing talk of an inverted yield curve. Is that really a, a you know, does it mean recession is around the corner? Mm. Uh, I think that this is a little academic, Peter, the discussion, but uh, we're going to see a lot more of talk about inverting yield and curve. And there's
0: come some kind of belief that the res- central bank over there is going to be ignoring the consequences of rising interest rates too quickly and causing a recession. I think they'll be more careful.
1: Yeah, and one of the reasons it's inverting, Peter, of course, is the quicker the – this is in the market talk – the quicker the US Federal Reserve lists instance rates, and the more aggressive they are, the more chances they are have of fighting off inflation. That means ultimately ought to be lower inflation longer term, which is actually good for long-term bond yields. And that's yeah. one of the reasons why the curve is has gone flat to arguably inverting. I think there's a, a lot of talk about this, Peter, we, we just won't dwell on that at the moment. Yeah. Fed meets on May the 3rd to the 4th. Mm. Uh, that's just out of April, but the market is is factoring a half percent. Uh, increase in the uh, in the Federal Reserve rates. So mm. let's just see whether that happens. Uh, we are getting into uh, company earnings season. That th- that kicks off just before Easter, and that'll go through to the middle of May. That's mm. really important because ultimately that's what you know. When we buy invest in shares, we invest in profits, mm. uh, and so with market expectations. Uh, we've seen that causes a you know a, a lot of volatility in the market within individual companies. Expectations are fairly low, only for about 45 to 5% on average. Is But that's because the quarter last year wasn't so bad, but that's low by yeah. sort of historical it's standards. It's coming off a pretty big base,
0: isn't it? Yeah, it's means.
1: coming off a good base and a good first quarter in the, in the previous year. And look, historically, you know, April's been one of the best months for the S&P. I think, in fact, of the last 19 years, the market has gone up, and 18 of those years, the market has gone up. Yeah,
0: and what's also interesting, the only time that there's a bit of a challenge for the April month is when it's a midterm year. This is a midterm year, so it's gonna be interesting to see how it plays
1: out. Look, in Australia, look, we've got two big things. We've got a lot of cash out because of the, we've just come out of a big dividend season, and lots mm. of institutions and retail investors have quite cashed up. But we're also heading into a federal election, Peter, and typically, you know, markets don't like elections, they don't like the uncertainty, companies defer major decisions, so do consumers a little bit. And so that might just temper our market, despite perhaps a positive lead out of the US, if if things in Ukraine are okay, and we get other factors working, uh, as we've described might just temper the Australian market, particularly after such a strong rally.
0: Exactly. So April could be effective, but usually after the election, there's a nice rebound, no matter who wins. So let's keep our fingers crossed on that.
1: Yeah, and worth just looking at what's going on in the US. And this is a graph of the the US S&P 500 in black, the 30-day moving average in in green, and the 300-day moving average in blue. Uh, and then a copy indicator, which is a measure of relative strength. But uh, yeah, we've actually turned the corner in the U.S. It sort of got back to below, almost below its three hundred day moving average. And that's when the market
0: was really worried well around January. Yeah.
1: But it's bounced quite strongly, and so we're a long way away. And so both the, the short and the medium term signals now on the U.S. markets are, are quite bullish. Yeah. So. Uh, Uh, We're still in a bull market, nothing to say the trend hasn't changed, and again, the same in Australia, so I think that's something, if if you're reading a lot of negativity, just be a little bit careful, you know, Mm. the old saying, the trend is your friend, Mm. Uh, and I think, you know, April will be an interesting month, you know, because of the election coming here in May, but... Mm. uh, Look, the, the, the power of the market, uh, the positivity is still winning over some of the negative talk yeah. out there.
0: I've written a piece a few weeks back, Paul, which was um, buy, in May, buy, buy before May and stay. I think that's probably going to be the, the best strategy for the rest of this year. I'm joined now by the CEO of Domain, Jason Pellegrino. And uh, it comes at a time when there's an acquisition on, and also at a time when analysts do, really do like the company. Let's just see if he can justify this liking of the company by analysts. Jason, great, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. For those people who are up with this acquisition, tell us about it.
2: Yeah, so, so for some time we've been on a journey of transitioning domain from a traditional classifieds, an online property listing site, to a property marketplace. This acquisition is $180 million for a business called RealBase that is in the prop tech space. And what it does, uh, prop, RealBase has a series of products that help agents digitize their workflow, bring their properties to market faster, help vendors with that process, improve compliance and efficiency through what they do and help them make more money. So it's a way of us providing a deeper level of service to the property ecosystem to help agents bring those properties to market faster and more efficiently. Okay.
0: Now, so does it effectively improve the productivity of the agent and its service to the customer? Yeah, so a great example of this is when when an agent
2: is looking to list your property, they will provide you with a marketing schedule of all the sort of investments that they think you should make to sell your property and get the best price possible. This technology allows that marketing schedule to essentially be automated. So rather than it requiring a series of emails or phone calls to get billboards put up to photos and floor plans done, listings to be listed on all the portals, uh, this piece of technology actually automates that um, and and makes that very easy for the agents to manage and takes workload out of their uh, hands. There's also a number number of other tools that sit within the RealBase portfolio. One of them is a digital presentation uh, so when they're actually sitting in the living room talking to a vendor about the potential rather than, you know, a, an old school sort of printout, it's you know, sitting on an iPad, which means there's much more dynamic engagement and interaction with, for example, historical sales results. And so you can have an informed conversation with uh, a potential vendor. It, it's what people are experiencing with the internet now and the access to data. You would see this. Consumers are expecting to be able to play with data to see data to ask questions and get immediate responses. And this platform allows agents to provide that experience to their consumers. Will
0: agents have to pay for this as a, 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 a value add to their own operation? Or do they get it by simply being a customer of domain and placing ads?
2: No, it, it is a paid service, uh, but it's a paid service in return for really significant steps up, step ups in efficiency. Okay. So the overall cost to the agent in terms of the time saved, particularly it is a positive ROI. So what we want is agents to be spending their time holding the hands of vendors and potential buyers through easily the most complex transaction that they're, they're ever going to do in their life. Most Australians buying and selling a individual property will be the scariest thing they ever do. And so we want agents to be helping with the emotions, the expertise around that process and not stuck doing paperwork. And so it is a paid-for service, but it's a paid-for service that delivers a really strong ROI, allowing agents to focus on what they do uh, best.
0: Is there a rival uh, business out there that does similar things or this is quite a unique business?
2: So RealBase has established a, a, a strong position, but there are over 350 prop tech providers that are actually providing services to agents across the country. What Domain is trying to do is is rather than, um, you know, try to actually replicate all of those 350, we think we're in a position to provide what we call an open source platform. It's a platform that allows agents to make a choice of the technology that they want to use and allow those, you know, whatever choice they make out of those 350 different options, allow them to talk to each other. That's the one thing that that is really, really complex is you can pick point solutions that help you through parts of the transaction, but making those individual solutions talk to each other, allow the data to transfer, allow the experience to be seamless for vendors and buyers, as well as the agents and back offices is what Domain is really focused on, on providing. And RealBase provides us with an end-to-end platform from right at the beginning of identifying potential properties that will come to sale through to sort of pitching in the living room, through to managing open home inspections and digitally signing the contract at the end of that process. It is now an end-to-end platform when you bring together domains assets and real basis assets that allows the agents to actually digitize every step of that journey and allows them to pick and choose from the solutions they want to insert into that journey based upon the specific prop tech providers they want to provide. The only other thing I would say is the biggest competitor out there, frankly, is paper and pen. Yeah, it it is still only less than 50% of total property transactions in the country are being supported by these digital uh, transaction flows. And 50% are still using old school paper and pen and emails and phone calls. Um, um,
0: How easy is it going to be for you to market this to the, the band of real estate agents right around the country?
2: Look, RealBase and Domain has, already has a fairly significant presence. So between, Domain currently supports every listing transaction in the country that matters through our our marketing product and our listings portal, and that's fine. But if you look at the the workflow of agents, one of our products touches about 35% of every listing transaction in the country. When we bring together RealBase and Domain, that 35% steps up pretty significantly to 50%. So we're already sort of supporting half of every listing uh, that, that actually comes across in Australia okay. every year.
0: And so if you look at Domain, you know, you made the point that you didn't want this to be simply a, a, a business that accumulates income from listings. What, what are the various okay. profit centers? So you got the, the, the main business, yeah. you got this now, what else have you got?
2: So we've really broken Domain into four separate business units as part of our property marketplace strategy. Our core listings business is absolutely our economic engine, and you know currently it's probably in the order of eighty five percent plus of our revenue, and that's the history. It does provide us with a unique and privileged position of aggregating eight point five million Australians each month who come to our site, with you know over you know, close to ninety percent of all listings that actually appear across you know across the country each year that that's still like our core business unit we have three other business units there's our agent solutions business unit which Realbase now joins and that is providing digital workflow technology tools to agents and help us get you know helps us get better insight into the properties coming to market helps us understand more about people in their offline journey so a great example being one of the most important parts of buying a house is actually physically inspecting it that doesn't happen in in a digital world that happens in real life and our agent solution platforms allow us, us to help consumers, help agents manage and make that offline, that inspection process better and, and easily, more easily understood. The other two business units, we've got a, a consumer solutions business unit. So that's about helping consumers with what they need to actually go through a property purchase. And that's fundamentally about mortgages. So we have a joint venture with Lendy. Lendy's recently uh, merged with Aussie. So they are a significant player in the digital and digital assisted mortgage. Um, Market and our joint venture there, which is Domain Home Loans is about helping Australian consumers not only find properties, but actually understand what they can afford and how they'd finance that property. And then the final business unit is property data solutions. So in all of this interaction and property data and consumers and finance and mortgage, we have an extraordinary collection of data. And that data is actually being used and we're commercializing that through uh, channels like financial institutions, governments, developers, institutional investors. So we recently acquired a business called um, IDS. IDS is in that data business, data solutions business. It provides land valuation services to uh, all of Victoria state government, South Australia. It's looking to do it in, in WA and across the country. So, you know, services around the single biggest asset that most state governments and local councils are sitting on, which is the value of their land. This is providing digital analytics and insights into what, what's the best use and of And so
0: that, that, that data uh, business, is it like a rival to Core, CoreLogic? Yeah,
2: there and more. So it does absolutely a lot of property data analytics, but also the ability to do consumer analytics. So one real advantage we have is that 8.5 million Australians who are coming to our platform with really high intent um, around buying and researching property. And then we extend out into our nine, um, you know, our our major shareholder who has access to over 13 and a half million Logged in um, Australian consumers. Okay,
0: now mate, look, I just want to quickly go to what the uh, analysts are saying about uh, your business, and you'll know, be happy to know that it's positive. So the average, the average uh, view on where the share price might go over the next uh, year or less is about 29.8% higher. And you've got uh, Morgan Stanley 36% higher, City 55% higher. Maybe you should, you should do some business with City because they're, they're liking you more than anybody else. So, but they're all in the green. They all think you're heading in the right direction. So if, if I'm an investor and I hear that, I think, okay, the, the, the experts who look at uh, your company and, and drill down to the numbers better than what most investors can do are all pretty positive about it. But they'd be saying to themselves, well, hang on, I'm hearing, uh, reading the domain itself, that house prices are starting to slow and whatever. How does a business like yours do when the market's slowing down. Yeah. yeah.
2: It's, it's it's a very interesting it's a very interesting observation that I would have that yeah, you know, we, we we have seen a decline in our stock price over the last you know six months and I think you've seen that across most technology. Yeah. Stocks, has and so, as well. yeah. yeah and even broader than that to the broader yeah, technology exactly. sector. Tech and technology and is, there is a value to growth rotation. There is aspects is it, it is somewhat detached from the fundamentals. I think there is a forward looking view that price um you know the decline well the sort of we've had very strong price growth over the last 12 months and there is a view which we agree that that cannot continue and in fact we think there'll be probably price stabilization maybe slight price declines um you know there is a view that interest rates are increasing and I think after yesterday's rBA minutes you you have that view that that's probably short you know shorter rather than longer in terms of when it will be infl- affected and then and then inflation is obviously increasing. Now, when you take those three views is there's a, there's a, there is a sort of a consensus around that that is actually going to be negative and a negative environment for the property industry. Now, what I would say is, is our business is built on property listing volumes. We make money when volumes are listed. So we were impacted very significantly through COVID, even though prices increased materially over that period, property prices, it's all about volumes. When we look at the history, Uh, of correlating property listing volumes and transaction volumes with periods of high inflation, high interest rate, you know, declining prices. Actually, there is no correlation. And and the reality is people, the majority of people are selling a property or buying a property and also selling a property. And so movements in price are are somewhat muted in terms of their impact because, you know, when prices are declining, okay, you can get a good deal on buying, but you're also impacted by what you're selling. Um, interest rates and inflation as well. You know, you've got to remember most 75% of property purchases are for people's homes. They're not making this investment choice on an ROI basis. They're making the choice of what they actually need to meet their needs at a point in time. So look, I think going forward, I think all those three things are actually uh, are true and that, that environment will go through, uh, You know, many people haven't run businesses in environments with high inflations, with increasing interest rates. And that's something that we're mindful of is what what do we actually have to do on our cost base, for example, to operate within those settings. But in terms of our top line, we we see a really strong listings environment at, at the moment. And we see that sort of continuing into the, at least into the short to medium term, because there is a lot of listing transactions that actually have to happen because they were muted over the last two to three years with COVID and the Royal Commission Credit constraint periods that that have to clear out.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, um, I hope the analysts are right. I hope things head in the right direction. And I guess the the, the really big threat to any business, uh, not just yours, will be if a recession shows up. And uh, I think recessions are still a few years
2: off. Yeah. And I think so. And even in that case, does does, does a recession actually trigger the need to to actually you know, liquidate property or sell property? And could could you actually end up with a you know, our listings volume increase in terms of the level of activity that's required to do that. That's one of the unique things and we sort of keep hammering home is our business is built on volumes, not the actual health or the price points or the the broader financial health of the property industry. So,
0: Jason, uh, thanks for joining us. Talk to you in a few months' time. Thank you. Well, my next guest is Marcus Bogdan of the Switzerland Dividend Growth Fund and of Blackmore Capital. Marcus, good to see you.
3: Good to see you, Peter. Cheers.
0: So I'm interested in what um, companies you've added to the fund in recent times.
3: So we haven't made any uh, changes over the last month. March uh, was a very impressive month in terms of share price appreciation Uh, and we'd like to see uh, some of those elements start to cool uh, before we were uh, adding uh, anything more to to new positions or existing positions at this this point in time. Certainly got stocks that we're interested in, uh, stocks on our watch list uh, that we would like to add to but uh, we just uh, being a little bit more careful just on the prices at the moment.
0: Yeah. So in terms of uh, recent additions, I believe you've added NAB to the
3: fund. Yes, indeed. Uh, And that's ahead of uh, the core banking results that we're expecting to see in May, uh, where three out of the four retail banks will report for um, half-year uh, earnings, uh, and then we'll get a quarterly update from Commonwealth Bank. But the the rationale for for, for putting NAB in uh, was primarily is that they are showing very uh, strong signs of rec- of recovery in terms of their base business, both not only in in housing but also being the largest business bank in Australia, uh, recording. Uh, Quite, quite noticeable uh, returns there in business loan, loan growth, uh, seeing good deposit growth there, and they've also initiated a new buyback. So this, the stance on, on, on NAB is that we expect that earnings can grow over the next couple of years, uh, and that will also translate into higher dividends for our investors as well.
0: Hmm. well what's your position on Westpac?
3: Westpac we hold in the portfolio. Uh, we would say that that would be the lowest quality of the banks that we hold. So Commonwealth Bank being the clear market leader. Uh, and that's absolutely evident and looking at all the metrics that they've seen in terms of the market share that they're taking. Uh, uh, and so Westpac uh is is probably the lowest quality but as offers the cheapest valuation and the highest dividend yield so there's a there's a bit of a trade-off there uh, but our our preference in the banking sector would be cba nab and then westpac Uh, and then and then on the more diversified industrials we've got macquarie group uh, which we are quite excited about in terms of their uh, medium-term growth aspects and also Suncorp, which provide a a very attractive dividend yield for our investors.
0: Macquarie has been a very impressive performer, Marcus, hasn't it?
3: It has. Uh, It's over $200 a share now. That is a stock that we would consider adding to on any meaningful pullbacks because we we do see that the the underlying business is going along very very well and importantly um, Macquarie uh, have been have been uh, very good at positioning themselves into the new economy and particularly uh, as a global leader in green infrastructure
0: mm. you know um, a long time ago um, an income fund like yours, wouldn't have had a significant holding of miners, but the dividends that the likes of BHP and Rio have been paying must make it very hard for an income fund manager like you to ignore. Do do you hold both? And secondly, how long do you think you can confidently hold the miners Mm -hmm. uh, on the basis that the dividend is looking secure for? possibly one or even two years or even longer?
3: Mm. Well, the big miners, particularly companies like BHP and Rio, uh, have really uh, changed very much in terms of their discipline on capital since the last commodity boom, which we saw in the earlier part of this century. Uh, They got caught out at that point point in time uh, where they were sort of over-invested at the wrong point of the cycle. And since that point of time, they've been incredibly disciplined of reducing debt, uh, being far more focused on the returns that they get on in investments at a time when commodity prices have been strong. And so it's been a double fillip for the big miners one is that uh, they've enjoyed the benefits of higher commodity prices they're spending less cash in the business and so that is being translated into much higher capital returns and dividends for investors and to epitomize what has actually happened there in the last um, half uh, BHP's dividend in terms of dollar terms was was higher than the, combi- the combined dividends of all of the four banks. So the dividends that BHP are generating at the moment are absolutely significant. Mm-hmm. And as commodity prices continue to, re- to remain high, uh, the expectation that BHP is still well-placed to pay very attractive dividends over the foreseeable future are still in place.
0: So to answer my question then, uh, will you be holding BHP and Rio for at least another
3: year? So, well, we only hold BH, BHP uh, and the, the fundamentals of, of BHP in terms of their portfolio. Uh, yeah, we're very happy to hold BHP for the foreseeable future. Great stuff.
0: Uh, one last question before you go. Uh, and I may well have asked you this before, but, you know, a lot of people are interested in the future of tech companies and, when the market gets excited, they buy them again. When the market gets negative, they dump them. Mm. Uh, do you have a, a tech stock or two in the fund? And uh, if so, what funds? What what companies are you own?
3: Um, currently, we have no uh, tech exposure direct tech exposure in the portfolio. Uh, And that's principally driven by, um, we we believe, the excessive valuations in a lot of that that sector, particularly in the unprofitable space. Notwithstanding that, there has been a significant pullback in some of those prices. But we do think that those valuations will be challenged uh, for the foreseeable future, primarily because we expect that interest rates, particularly in the US, are going to be moving up quite aggressively. uh, And that always puts pressure on those valuations. So, yes, it's on a watching brief, uh, but we believe it's too early.
0: Okay. And one last question related to that is, if you had to rank a tech company that you'd be interested in, which one would top the, the rankings?
3: Well, we do, I mean, we do like things like um, digital real estate. So, um, you know, companies like REA or Domain. Uh, and then in the unprofitable space, uh, we would be looking at companies like Zero.
0: Yeah. Well, you should have a look at my interview with uh, Jason Pellegrino from um, Domain tonight, uh, Marcus. You might be interested in that.
3: Okay, terrific. Good okay, timing.
0: Thanks for joining us, mate.
3: Pleasure.
0: Cheers. So, Adam, you know, I first met you when NBI, Newburger, Berman, what was the I stand for? NBI? Uh,
4: income. Income, income. income. Yeah.
0: yeah. When that first came to Australia. Uh, but now you're Portfolio Manager for a different product that comes out of Newburger Berman, which is not listed, mm. um, but it, but retail investors and advisors can access it via uh, platforms and whatever. So tell us about your fund. Give us the name of it and what you actually do.
4: Yeah, sure, so um, it's called the Newburger Berman Strategic Income Fund. Mm. And uh, what it is is a fixed income fund, yeah. fixed interest. Uh, it invests only in fixed income securities. So you know we'll never own equities or commodities or alternative assets, yeah. but it has complete flexibility around what fixed income assets it wants to own for the environment we're in and where's the best relative value in the global fixed income market. So okay. it can own government bonds, it can own corporate bonds, it can own high quality assets, it can own low quality assets. It can own developed market fixed income, mm. it can own emerging market fixed income. Uh, We think about it as our flexible bond offering, and the mandate is deliver consistent, attractive levels of income, distributed monthly to clients, um, and to generate attractive income with a volatility or how much the NTA fluctuates that's more like an investment grade asset in nature. So higher average quality uh, compared to MBI, which Mm. is the non-investment grade or the high-yield market that that focuses on. This is a higher average quality uh, that's focused on with that higher quality generating you know attractive yes. income. It's, you, it's a managed fund. Yeah. Um, so different than a closed and listed trust in that it transacts daily at NTA.
0: Okay, yep. um, high quality asset other than a bond, what would, would be an example of that?
4: So um, we think that the mandate for the fund is to always have an investment grade average rating. Hmm. Um, so, a high-quality asset that would be in the portfolio would be something like a investment-grade corporate bond. Hmm. Um, in the US, think about a, a large teleco or telecommunications company hmm. like AT&T hmm. that issues long-dated debt. Apple hmm. issues long-dated debt. Now I guess government infrastructure government, bonds. Government bonds, yeah. Yeah. US treasuries, uh, inflation-linked government bonds. Um, and. High-quality mortgages mm. issued by Fannie and Freddie that don't have credit risk—you know, where where you're where you're owning the interest okay, rate. Okay, what situations.
0: kind of um, average yield is this producing?
4: Yo, know, so in the market today, because we've seen yields uh, backing up and yields going higher, you know, we're generating a, around just just over a five percent yield on the portfolio mm. with the average credit quality of the portfolio as triple B plus. Which is a high, uh, higher end of, of you know uh, the the investment grade uh, market.
0: I think the answer is going to be no, but is there a hedged version of this?
4: It is. Oh. Um, so, so this portfolio for, for clients in Australia is something where um, they can own it in Australian dollar uh, share class, and the return stream is is delivered to them in Australian dollars, hedged hedged to this currency. Hmm. Yeah.
0: Um, how long has it been uh, operating?
4: So the strategy. Has been around a long time mm. at Newburger Berman. We've managed this. Uh, we started back in late two thousand three, mm. so it's been through the GFC, it's been through the post GFC, it's been through COVID, it's been through it be whatever doc, stage bit we're bit in, bit in COVID com now. Well, yeah, though, yeah okay. com. Okay. Um, So, so it's been around a long time. But in Australia, the trust here um, has been around for about a couple years, mm. um, and it feeds into the strategy, which has been run, you know, on a, on a much longer, uh, longer horizon.
0: What, what's the the cost?
4: Uh, the cost is, uh, is 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 attractive. Mm. Um, you know, it depends on we have different share classes depending on investors and their profile, mm. but it's uh, competitive uh, competitive to market mm. um, and competitive for the yield that that it, that it offers.
0: Okay, what are the the challenges and the opportunities for the fund?
4: So the challenges are it's fixed income, yeah. uh, and fixed income in this current environment has had a tough start to the year. Um, but you know, that said, um, that the fund's done a lot. To mitigate the drawdown that it's had versus fixed income assets, which have suffered. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we've outperformed uh, the, the market benchmark uh, that we look at to kind of gauge uh, how we're doing. And I think importantly, uh, the experience that we, we've had uh, year to date, the fund is about 4% negative. It's nothing in that is an impaired, impaired risk. You know, so we've had no defaults in the portfolio. And nothing's gone bust. Uh, it's it simply marks on these bonds going lower as a result of interest rates going a bit higher in the short term. Mm. Um, and we've taken that market opportunity to actually buy some cheap assets. So we've been adding yield, buying cheap assets and enhancing the portfolio through this period.
0: So if anyone is um, suspicious of the stock market assessing your type of product, mm. This is a way to invest in it and not have to cope with the vicissitudes of the stock market.
4: That's correct. Yeah, this this would be a. Uh, I think about this as a, a, a kind of a core fixed income, fixed interest offering for clients who want global fixed income exposure, want a well diversified portfolio, want to transact at NTA, and want consistent, attractive levels of income. So you know, right now we're paying out in excess of four uh, percent on the fund. For uh, an average book of assets, hmm. which is high quality.
0: Okay, it's been going for how many years? So about
4: about two years in the local uh, a local trust. Yeah, and what um, about internationally? Industry. Internationally, started back in uh, 2003, late 2000. A-
0: and if you, this might not be an easy question, but yeah. you should have the answer because. I want to know the answer sure. um what's been the average return over all that time yeah highs and lows what's kind of that that, that so, return? return so there's a couple
4: of ways to look at it i'd say since inception mm. so if you go back to the long track record 2003 yep. uh six and a half percent annualized mm. return yeah. um so an attractive return and that's been achieved with a uh, volatility or kind of price fluctuation that's about five percent so simply put Better return than unit of volatility or unit of risk, and yeah. and that's what we want to do. Of recycle,
0: yeah.
4: um, uh, uh, we call it a sharp ratio. It's yeah. technical, but it basically better return than unit of risk, yeah. and risk being, you know, we think over time, you know, average few years annualized mm. three to five percent type of volatility for yeah. this type of fund.
0: Yeah, you know, one of your biggest problems, Adam, is you're far too young <laughs> compared to me, anyway, um, and that 65 would have had the period where interest rates were really high. So, that's correct. What about since the GFC? Because we know interest rates have been remarkably low since then. What kind of returns? Return, yeah. It's also been good. You know, it's mm. been around 6% uh, Gee, since good. GFC.
4: Mm. Um, I don't have the exact number, but it's been yeah. around 6%. Um, the, the, what we've designed this strategy to do is not be managed to a market benchmark. Mm. What, what do I mean by that? A lot of these market benchmarks have a lot of duration, very long bonds have bonds with lower yields or lower margin spreads. Um, So we give ourselves more flexibility to preserve capital and deliver income. Mm. Um, In environments where interest rates are going up, like this year, how do we mitigate the downside impact to a bond portfolio of interest rates going up? We have less duration in the portfolio. We own shorter dated bonds. Mm. We own some short dated fixed rate bonds, some floating rate bonds, and we have less duration risk. Mm. Um, that's the way to kind of mitigate downside of capital in the short term and still be nimble enough to buy cheap opportunities and generate that kind of you know, respectable mm. mid-single-digit type of return is, I'd say, our objective you know, over a cycle. Okay, interesting variation. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you.
0: That's the show for this week. Thanks for joining us. Make sure you join us on Monday. And if you want more analysis, deeper analysis on stocks that you might be interested in, have a look at the Swiss Report. Just go to the Swiss Report. Thanks for joining us. See you on Monday.